How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 157 of Master My Garden Podcast. Now, uh, this one is an exciting one for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the first episode of 2023, and it's one I've been trying to line up for a few weeks. And uh, I suppose it's, as I say, exciting for a few reasons. Number one, I'm actually recording this in person, which is something that I haven't done in about 12 months. So I had to remember how to uh, work the microphones and everything again in a different environment. Um, but also, I suppose the, the gardener that we're talking today, Katie Scully, is uh, an organic gardener of, uh, I suppose she's yeah, doing a lot of work around the country. She has a lot of experience. She's been the head gardener in Airfield Estate, recently on Borbea's Homegrown program. And she's involved in the Organic Growers of Ireland, or the OGI network, and the Small Growers Network. So a lot of experience in organic gardening. She's uh, currently involved in a, you know, a private project, and that's a very interesting one as well. And yeah, there's lots to talk about, and we're going to do a sort of a, the first part of this interview will be inside, and then we'll be going outside. But firstly, Kitty, you're very, very welcome to Master My Garden Podcast. Oh, great. It's lovely. Yeah, lovely to meet you, John. You're a local man and all. Yeah. And a leash man. It's surprising, actually. We've had, we've had a discussion this morning with three gardeners, all from Leash. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good, like... Um, you kind of think sometimes in, when you're living in an area that there's nobody else around, but it's great to find that there is, you know, lots of people who are into the same sort of thing. Totally. And I think throughout Ireland, maybe the community, the, the two degrees of separation, it's all becoming, yeah, more joint. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, Kitty, as I say, you have uh, a lot of strings to your bow. Um, so we're going to talk about a few of those. And uh, at the moment, as we were, we're, we're doing an in-person interview, which is something I haven't done for a while, and I'm looking forward to sort of getting outside as well to do a little bit of recording outside. Um, but maybe just to, to give a little bit of your backstory, just a, a sort of a short version of your, your backstory within horticulture and gardening. Yeah, I suppose, um, well, you've alluded to it already, John. I grew up on a farm in County Leash. Um, it wasn't actually certified organic at the time. It now is. My brother um, runs it now and has a, a business. Give him an old plug, an organic <laughs> gluten-free oats business on the family farm. But I suppose my my dad, by by nature, he would have been 100. And he would have been 100 if he was alive last year. So wow. you're talking, that's a link to another generation. Yeah. And it was a different style of farming. So I suppose I intrinsically grew up in that world. And it sounds a bit cliche, but like the first jobs were always out planting potatoes and then as a family now it's not like we were the Waltons and everyone yeah. was absolutely delighted out singing picking potatoes I'm sure we were all grumbling <laughs> but still it was that connection of I suppose getting your hands in soil at a young age and I can always remember then we always would have done that on a Saturday in September and I was the youngest but then in the evenings then when I come home from school around quarter past three my dad used to bring just the two of us out the field to pick up the marbles right. as he called them yeah, they're yeah. really small potatoes and I suppose that just brings you back to this zero waste that yeah. whole sense of everything was valued you know and yeah. I suppose maybe when you kind of learn these things at a young age it just becomes it's become inherent really in my style of gardening and what sure. I sure just uh, out of matter of interest two, two questions spring to mind because I remember those uh, October typically October for us uh, Saturdays going picking potatoes um, and you said maybe we'd be grumbling a little bit. But you know something, I also remember those as being very you know, fun days, uh, very happy days, and exciting to a certain extent, especially when you open the first drill of potatoes. 
Totally. Yeah, it is really like magic and all the drills, you know, obviously the, the varieties back then were a lot more, you know, probably your records, your golden wonders, yeah. your roosters, you know, yeah. but there still was a variation in colour and size and yeah, certainly a sense of excitement and yeah, and look at you would be having the crack and in the end of the day, and I, I still feel this um, many decades on that lovely healthy satisfaction when you've done a really good day's physical work and you've actually yielded a store you know i just that for me is a very fulfilling feeling Um, and just out of interest what did you do with the marbles so yeah so the marble because then i was kind of thinking no there would have been a better selection for seed you know at that stage but often like the marbles were kept um and i don't know if i'm kind of mixing my my farms up now because i would have spent <laughs> a lot of time with the well three years as a farm manager with the presentation sisters okay. in north cork um and that was a certified organic farm and as you know now the nuns would be very frugal yeah. and wouldn't be one for waste so certainly there we had a burko boiler in the hen area we had 250 um, flock of laying hens so we would have boiled the, the marbles, the marbles the and then they would have been given that's exactly why I asked that question because at home the marbles would have went back into Carroll to my granddad's house for the hens and that's why I was asking yeah and in my I know we got rid of hens when I was younger because you know all the free range hens and my mother always kept a good I suppose for want of a better word kitchen garden yeah. it was very traditional we would have had the field scale veg where it would have been just good old fashioned you know everything put in drills drills of potatoes the carrots the parsnips the carrots carrots onions all done outside and then my mum would have always just kept a smaller fruit garden and that's where the salads the lettuce and probably no but yeah probably less beetroot at that time I think culturally you know um so so yeah so she didn't like the hens so much let's right. say because they were kind of free ranging there wasn't all these kind of fancy mobile you know yeah. egg runs at that stage yeah yeah and, or uh, hen tractors <laughs> yeah so we've sort of got sidetracked now on the that was the early and you mentioned something there actually the presentation you worked in the, pres- in the presentation i didn't realize that and strangely enough i ran a grow your own course on saturday in april of last year and i had a nun from from that um, from the presentation in Cork brilliant at it and she spoke regularly about the, their organic practices and I didn't really know much about them but now I'm after making kind of the link back and she was on the course for the day oh brilliant because it's a centre for spirituality heritage and ecology right um, yeah oh no, I know like I'm running probably 30 years um, I would say at this stage but, but yeah so kind of to you know fast forward all on like everyone kind of strayed away from the farm and ended up you know studying in Trinity and you know realistically it took traveling for me i spent four years traveling and i had heard about woofing working on organic farms probably from one of my um my next sister agnes who would have spent time in tipperary and at that time Cranach castle and gillis mcbain and there was kind of a whole movement you might have heard of the rats festivals the real alternative trading festivals there was interesting magazines one called common common ground that was being read so i started kind of accessing this material 
by default via my sister. So then I was like, gosh, this woofing sounds great. Imagine getting to go and travel and work and live on farms and have an exchange. I was just for me, I was like, oh, gosh, that's exactly what I want to do. So then, yeah, that basically then through working on organic farms through New Zealand, Australia, and then more less woofing, but volunteering and projects in South America. I just knew a career in horticulture. It's it's. I kind of felt I'm here in Bolivia trying to find out the tr- you know the tribal traditions in the middle of the Amazon jungle yeah. of you know of their culture of growing and I just had this kind of you know eureka moment that it's like gosh I don't even know the traditions of my own little island <laughs> you know and then that was it I was just on a journey I was like straight back to La Paz a few flights later yeah. into Ireland and then found that I could actually study that there was a diploma in organic horticulture and sustainable living being offered by Antonid Gloss down in West Limerick. And being the nanny state that we are, there was even going to be financial support, (laughs) which is like phenomenal when you come, you know, especially from developing countries. It's like, wow, I get to study exactly like basically a way of life and plus, obviously, a career route as well um, and be financially supported. And it was from that job or that course there that I ended up going straight into my first job was as a farm manager and then being nuns. Now, they did get two roles and a course developer as well. So it was brilliant. It just opened up. Um, I suppose it set me on my path because I've always grown. I've grown for market gardens. I've grown for public gardens. I've grown for educational gardens. But I've always kept a communication element in as well. Mm-hmm. And I suppose by nature, that's part of also the joy it bring it brings me. I lo- I love I, lo- I love the active gardening, but I love the communication as well. So I've always been teaching. The nuns were a teaching order. So I was really I suppose nurtured and in co- so I was literally straight out of college and I think I just started and it was a face-to-face teachers training course and I was like oh Kitty will you do the module on compost I am like what you know because when you come out yeah, of college yeah. so I think it was being by thrown in the deep end and they totally wholeheartedly believing in me and supporting me and um, that then I just yeah I started getting into the teaching and you have to be on top of your game so it just one fed into the other trying to kind of get, you know apply the practical skills and then also by teaching you're constantly research reading teaching you know yeah. so I think it all it all came as a culmination of a, a great obsession for many <laughs> decades. <laughs> the you mentioned Bolivia you mentioned I think you said Nepal somewhere along there. Or did you? No, La Paz, oh, the, La Paz, the capital of Bolivia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, you've you've been around different countries, obviously totally different, you know, you know from an environment perspective, crops. Um, what kind of similarities do you see, you know, because they are very different in many ways, but there is still similarities when it comes to how you treat the soil and, and, and this type of thing, so... Totally, and it is always, like, I think we're so lucky as, um, I suppose, gardening and plant fanatics that when we travel, it's just such a great way to travel from just arriving somewhere and going to see a botanic garden to just trekking and looking at kind of plants that we would maybe treat as tender, naturalised mm-hmm. in different areas. But for me, I'm always drawn to the, the more, the, the food, the, the, yeah. the, those who feed us and, and market. So that's where I always... Um, 
end up and I suppose one of my most recent trips you know you can get one kind of vision of a country kind of going through on a bus but to actually just meet and talk with farmers and talk with people on the ground that's I suppose where you really find it's the same challenges Um, and especially now I'm coming from a very protected you know probably middle-aged white woman traveling obviously who's interested in organic farming the people I'm going to meet are people who have probably studied permaculture who are on the regenerative farming um, mission or role already and I suppose you know you just find these countries yeah they're absolutely you know being so destroyed by corrupt policies, by mm-hmm. corrupt government, other natural resources. Now, I'm not saying I, I, I'm not, that seems a bit strong-handed for the poor no. but, but, you know, I think we're all struggling, aren't we, be, between policy and supports, especially when you're trying to set up and to farm ecologically. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, I suppose, in kind of warmer, more tropical countries, their soils are lighter, they're sandier tropical soils, so they're constantly trying to get organic matter. Mm-hmm. But I would think we had a little chat about no dig gardening before you know we started recording and I suppose we're all basically trying to do the same we're trying to respond to the environment that we're in and work with the nature um around us so you know I just for me like it's not comparable as in this variety is going to do really well in Ireland but definitely how we manage soils and and I I listened to I would be a fan of Jeff Lowenfeld his his book Teeming with Microbes you know was one of my early kind of intro to I suppose biological um, gardening and I suppose, you know, I, I do remember it was kind of mentioned that if, if there was, you know, every garden centre should be stocking mycorrhiza, yeah. you know. But then it was like, then when you go to countries like South America, there ain't no garden centres, yeah. there ain't no shops. Yeah. So it really kind of, the whole kind of indigenous microorganism culture is really where it's at. Mm-hmm. And the lack of, res- I suppose I felt kind of there, God, we all have fruit hill farm. Sure you need anything, just call fruit hill mm-hmm. farm, every biostimulant, you know, everything we need. So I just found that really interesting for me, working on farms where everything was just kept within the system and absolutely nothing wasted from human manure to all our ashes from our wood-burning fires where we cooked our pizza ovens to, you know, using all indigenous organisms. I know you can say the heat over there would allow itself better to the fermentation processes, Mm -hmm. but they've got... I suppose hungrier, shallower, not shallower, but just they, they lose nutrients a lot quicker because of the sun and, you know, their yeah. substrate. So I suppose you're the same challenges. We're all just trying to kind of keep fertility in the ground and just grow healthy crops. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and, and they are ch- probably different challenges in that, you know, our ability to create organic matter is, is a lot easier here, um, given that things grow a lot more vigorously at times then, and, but then I would say for the whole like the chop drop mulch ah gosh like I have never in my life you're just going with a machete you're literally just kind of agroforestry models work yeah. really well you just literally machete down a few branches and literally you know or just say something like you know um, sugar cane you know you just lay the kind of harder bits of the cane on the on the path 
to use for walking on and then you just chop and all the the leaf like the, the growth yeah, is so rapid yeah. it's softer over there yeah. and you're not having this wet slug population so you yeah, work that's true yeah harder but you're literally turning compost around super quick yeah, and your yeah. biomass over there because of the rate it grows it's just like we would literally grow all our biomass and mulch crops at the edge, the sides of terrace beds. So you'd be using good, strong grasses like vetiver mm-hmm. and lemongrass. So literally, then, like, and literally, you just chop and then we just mulch to go straight onto the bed. So there's no carrying around. Mm-hmm. We, I, I just came back going, we carry so many materials around. The amount of time you, you chop, you cut, you clear, you rake, you bring it off to the compost heap, you compost it down, then you're back again, you're spreading it out. Mm-hmm. Whereas over there, there was much more potential for actually just dealing with, yeah, with mass. Yeah, mm. makes sense. And it's, I suppose, because of the heat, just, I suppose, the efficiencies and energies as well, like, the, yeah. you know... Um, Makes sense. Um, we, we spoke a little bit about no dig, but you mentioned it there, so we'll just we'll chat about it now. What's your your thoughts on it? Uh, do you practice it in in you know in the, in the sense that you see it online, or what's your? Yeah, no, like no dig, like definitely as someone who you know kind of grows up in Ireland on a you know a small farm where everything is like ploughed and tractor. Yeah, yeah. You know, at first you're like, oh, you know what? It's no dig, and you know, and it was probably back in two thousand and four five that it was like you know maybe charles dowding was becoming a lot more kind of suppose his his books were becoming available mm-hmm. you know i suppose alice fowler these were probably for me the first earlier yep. earliest influences um and then i i did the masters down in lissard the masters in organic horticulture yeah. the one-year masters and i can remember at the time we had to do a research project as part of it and I was kind of bouncing around ideas and with a, a Carla woman, actually Grace Marr, um, who works with I was Iofka at the time, we were just chatting. And I have to credit, it was actually Grace who said it to me because I was writing a lot for the examiner. She was like, what do you think about doing something on No Dig? And I was like, that is actually such a good idea. But because of the Lent, it was a three month master's to do any research project on no you would need seven eight years to set up proper trials so my first then i connected with probably the only commercial no-till certified organic garden um in ireland down in cork so basically it became a kind of a comparison of mulches anyway was my whole study so the irony then after doing a thesis matt a research thesis on the great benefits of no dig (laughs) and all the wonders that i don't have to repeat i find myself up in airfield estate with a busy deadline we were due to open um, and it was just yeah it was full on trying to get the garden into production the first thing I had done was I had sown green manures over big areas they were felt big at the time called the grain waves yeah. and then it was like these were going to go into cultivation so then next minute it was like you're looking at the landscapers and somebody has like a one ton mini digger and they're like well maybe <laughs> this could be this could get us out of a hole yeah. so then you're like how the hell have I gone from doing a thesis on no-till to actually you know using like diggers to actually so I think my slant on it is I think no dig 100% for me it's the only way it completely makes sense it's absolute biomimicry you know we you probably discussed it in depth with so many people but I think at the stage as well like just just say for here where we're sitting we're looking out this was an area this was completely covered in scotch mm-hmm. you know a year ago yeah. so how to go from an area yeah. covered with a really 
invasive heavy perennial weed yeah. that you know that the propagates by root division how to go from that into a no-till system I think there has to be stages so Definitely. I've kind of yeah made peace I this ground was plowed you know mm. maybe people would say that's the right or the wrong yeah. thing but the scale we were dealing with it was like okay maybe just invest in small machinery so I would kind of take it a phase it's the soil fertility phase there will be no more the plow has written itself out of a job mm-hmm. this was just getting it to the to first to the first stage and then with lots of intervention with a triple K harrow to just kind of repetitively dry out the scutch over the season and control wireworm as well then it goes straight into a fertility building crop and then next year this area potentially will go into potatoes because it's quite big Mm -hmm. and then that will open the ground and from there it will go into permanent beds and it will never ever be dug again again. so i suppose my advice to people as well depending on your scale um 100 you know no dig is where we're all going but just there's you know and then people would talk about min till as well and just certain crops on scale if you're trying to get a seed bed you know you can just do a shallow maybe run over with a rotavator just to get that you know the the seed bed so i I think like it for for small scale with no major weed problem no dig is obvious and makes total sense but it is when you get to the scale maybe and you have a problem like scotch it it's more of a challenge and you might need to look at it in a, as you say a two-year a two-year phase exactly to, to get rid of your problem and then you're into your looking after the soil from there on yeah totally and I'm, I'm a big believer there's no one size fits all no. there's no golden you know we, we all have to look at what our physical resources are or mm. financial you know e- everything what time we have what resources what materials what's available and then make your decisions based on that yeah, but, sure. um, but you definitely want to be going for the no dig but as I always say it doesn't mean no work you know there's still yeah, lots there's still of work, work. Yeah, there's just, still work yeah it's just nicer work it's just nicer work yeah, yeah exactly you're not, you're not pulling weeds as much um, if at all yeah and the ones you're pulling are easier to pull and, and definitely I'd say you know for me actually the physical you know act of digging I much pref- I much prefer gathering and surface mulching yeah you know the, as, as an action as a physical action yeah, sure um, so organic growing is your passion you spoke about um, and you're involved in the Organic Growers Ireland OGI tell us a bit about that yeah and that's probably you know something I've been involved in maybe for the last year or so and I suppose I've always kind of um, I've always been very like just 100% committed to organic growing and there's always a lot of debate over certification as well and you know realistically why do we need it is it another expense on on farmers but i think until we have another system or another way of transparency i think you know it's really unfortunate that it's the organic farmers that have to be regulated and do all the form filling and pay as opposed to the you know the the more conventional farmers seem to be able to spread a lot of things without having such rigorous inspecting mm-hmm. um or form filling so I, you know, over the years, I would have been on the board of directors for the Irish Organic Association. You know, would have I, all the gardens. I would have. Well, that was kind of one of the work I did at Airfield. I was very passionate about bringing it into organic certification, just to kind of say, okay, there's one thing we say we're doing it, but just yeah, we we stand behind mm-hmm. um, 
this as well and you know and then maybe through some of the other projects I did down in Cork with a, a technology company maybe I felt like I had distanced a little bit from the kind of organic market gardening okay. and even though I, for me that's where my real interest and passion lies you know the people who feed us mm-hmm. and who are farming organically out there I hold my hat off to them you know it's such a tough way to make a living a beautiful way to make a living yeah. you know so I've always felt very passionate about um, that I do I hate calling it a sector but the movement mm-hmm. let's say and just the movement of small farmers um, so then yeah, so just this year, just through um, actually Colm O'Driscoll that I would have co-presented yep. and worked in Airfield is on the board of the Organic Growers of Ireland. And I suppose they're a body set up to promote and increase the amount of growers um, that we have because often maybe horticulture and especially organic horticulture it's the poor relation really in terms of Irish land use you know mm-hmm. agriculture definitely and beef and dairy get get pushed so so yes yeah, so then a role came up Jason Horner was the coordinator to coordinate the small growers network okay. and basically it's a participant led network to give a support to people in start-up market garden enterprises. And one of the main flagships of the OGI is an internship, which actually will be beginning, um, I think the the advertisements are out now and the interview process will start in January. And that's a great experience. It's a, you know, it's, there is a qualification at the end of it. It's an opportunity for somebody to work for almost a year, for nine months with an, an organic farmer there is they will get a payment they will get training they will end up with a fee tax certificate um, so it's a really good opportunity but then the question was raised so where to after the internship can be pretty daunting mm-hmm. to go from there to starting up a business so the small growers network was kind of um, germinated from that kind of idea yeah. and it's a really it's about an information share a resource yeah. share and just shared learning because often grower to grower learning is much more valuable than expert to grower learning yeah. or consultant um, to grower. So realistically, it's open to people who basically are trying to set up small market gardens. But we have people in our small growers network that are now they're big growers. You right. know, they've moved on, and everyone's still involved. And we organise farm walks, we do online events, on field site workshops. You know, it's quite an active. Um, I suppose WhatsApp group I know people are going not another WhatsApp <laughs> group but one where it's like anyone know where you can get spuds or I've got this for sale you know so it's just bringing community together because often by nature of the work organic growers can be working in rural isolated areas so it's yeah it's a lot more um, sustainable and efficient if we all pull together yeah, for sure and the whole ethos is more collaborative than competitive because often just in the kind of capitalist structures you know we're all trying to compete but you know it really is about collaborating I think uh, you you mentioned there like if you went back 15 years in Northern Ireland you could count on one hand the number of say you know markets farmers markets that were in the country Um, and I guess that was there was a combination of reasons for that but there has been a huge upsurge in them over the last number of years I feel and and I hope that that is allowing these smaller, you know, smaller growers to have, and I and I think it is because I know some of them, you know, to have a good, to have a good life, obviously doing what they're doing, but a, a sustainable life in terms of income and supporting families and so on. Um, 
have you seen an improvement in that side of it? You know. Yeah, like and and, and you know and definitely. And as I say, I always do hold my hand up and say I'm a little bit protected because I get paid to grow, so I know I'm very um, spoiled. But from talking with some of my um, market gardening friends, like I know definitely it would have been a like you know COVID during COVID that was an amazing time for small producers and people yeah. really did put the value in local. Well, it was all they could get really, mm-hmm. and especially if there was farmers markets, you were shopping in the fresh air it became a social outlet i know um from talking with some growers that yeah things have slipped down a little bit and um, now as people get busier there was more travel opened up yeah. but but i think on the whole i think the market is growing i think consumer awareness is growing i think the demand is there i think it needs to grow more i think we need more um buy-in we need more support from supermarkets from shops and you know we definitely um there's room for improvement and i think growers as well are probably you know becoming more innovative they're doing you know between their their box schemes and there you know there's been different social networks for yeah. for selling as well and just being able to kind of stand back and take a look at what they're doing and what's working and what's not working and and i i think social media has helped a lot of them as well um you know so, some of them are telling their stories and putting up their produce you know farm to fork sort of documenting that journey sort of an effort and it definitely seems to have helped a lot of them uh, over the last few years yeah no totally and you know i try to think best of people i think you know i think people do want to do the right thing and just sometimes it just becomes a little bit of um yeah just confusing is it like is it better buy or like organic carrots from spain than non-certified organic carrots from carlo and you know it's it's such a it it, it can get very confusing as a consumer and you're yeah. trying to make your right decisions around packaging miles your health everyone's health but my, i think i just i love the whole build a relationship with whoever feeds you and i really had that living in cork like cork was a sweet spot as in, you know, I think Leash, we're still, we're still growing as, as a county. But in Cork, like, you know, I say toilet roll was the only thing you'd need to buy in a supermarket because everything was so available around you. And just the story of food yeah. as well. Um, and maybe it might seem, you know, I'm not feeding a big family. The, the price thing always um, comes into this. But I really think it's about the quality that you're getting as well. And that, you know, people, food is less nutrient rich you know yeah. like it's scientifically been proven so you know i yeah, think the, f- the money argument and feeding the family is always a funny one to me um food i'd be very passionate about food in general um but i always find the you know the the money aspect of it a funny one because the thing that people are spending the money on is not the vegetables anyway you know it's the it's the other stuff so when someone says to you it's too expensive i not so sure it might be just what's in your trolley rather than the cabbage or the, the carrot versus the carrot, you know. And I suppose it's back to the line knowing the price of everything and the value of nothing. You, yeah, you, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? And it's, it, I suppose it's kind of back to a, a value 
thing as well. But there's great like producers. Like there really is. Caroline Robinson has every Saturday morning on the Cold Key in Cork City, and literally, you know, I just always amazed. Leaks amaze me. The mm-hmm. amount of work in leaks. You know, it's a long growing season. You're probably sewing them starting in February. Yeah. You know, they're still in the ground come December. You know, cold times for harvesting. The amount of cleaning on them. You know, by the time you get them out, yeah, yeah. them clean and this, and then you're there and like there's bunches of leaks for like one euro fifty. You're just like, oh my god. <laughs> you know, it's like what? Like it's just for me. It's just like, oh my god. That's just amazing. And she's been very passionate about keeping it, you know, keeping it affordable and keep it now. Look at there on scale as well. So, you know, can yeah, do yeah. it. But I think, yeah, I, I think it's about, you know, just making the effort, isn't it? And maybe trying to find out who is your local grower and just starting the conversations and just build, just building up a relationship. And I love that sense of looking at your plate still gets a real joy when I've grown everything oh, myself. Yeah. You know, it's just. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. You never, you will never tire of that. Like yeah. you never, Definitely ever. Not. Um, do you think this is not really a garden related? But do you think that I'm not sure if the word is disconnect. But so you have your grower, and they grow, you know, twenty different vegetables, and they bring them to the far- farmers market. Do you think that there's still a little bit given, and it, 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 it's a bit surprising, but you have all these TV chefs, you know, all the TV. Uh, cooking programs do you still think there's a bit of a disconnect between these 20 vegetables sitting on a market stall and what the person standing in front of that stall can envisage they can do with it when they get home yeah Um, and i know that seems i i think there is and there shouldn't be because as i said there's so many cooking programs yeah and it, like it's it's funny like you know kind of back from my days you know because we would have you know ran a um a farmer's market you know when we're in Kilavullen, you know at the the nanonagle center you know and back then there was always a, a healthy conversation you know and that was the fun part you know yeah. especially i suppose look at i suppose when it comes to the more unusual things like jerusalem artichokes let's yeah. say um and I think this is where the key is that if we're really going to kind of get around this climate and biodiversity crisis, if we really want to start looking at sustainability, we're going to have to look at different ways of eating as well and eating different foods and probably more unusual perennial crops. And, you know, and that I think is where the real education piece is going to come about, mm-hmm. you know, because just let's say maybe Jerusalem artichokes are on my mind because this time of year, you know, if they weren't killed by the frost in December, they can still come out of the ground. But maybe they're not something that people would necessarily kind of, you know, know how to cook. So I think it can be in a lot of market, you know, a lot of growers do it. Just give a simple recipe with some of the more, yeah. you know, unusual tubers of greens. But yeah, I probably maybe work in, you know, walk in or just yeah, move in protected circles. I'm like, how couldn't you know what to do with it? But no, you're right. The disconnect is out there. And, you know, and, and people are busy as well. And, and you can get very married to what you eat, can't yeah. you? And you just don't want to yeah. kind of move out. But I do think they're definitely, um, you know, and I think, you know, a whole movement around like beans and dried beans and pulses and more proteins. I think, you know, looking at the States and any of mine, you know, I have a good friend from Nebraska who lives over here, like their culture of eating beans and dried beans it's like yeah. it's just non-existent here. yeah it's non-existent like, I, I spoke to a gardener in uh, in the states a few weeks ago a friend of mine i guess Le- lexi and she 
is huge into into beans and canning and small batch canning and we spoke about that during the episode and we don't seem to have that you know that well it's culturally it's not here anyway um but absolutely we should be doing it oh my god my, i have um, two great friends in gorse farm jenny and janet great um, salad growers and then they do a small a range of loads of different crops on the side so they gave me some dried borlotti beans this year yeah. um oh my god amazing like you don't have to like cook them for hours like you do if you buy dry, you know I often find I, if I buy dried beans in the health food shop it's just I'm always saying okay I need to buy a pressure cooker like you never go to a house in Colombia that won't have a pressure cooker okay. that's bean culture living you know it's not are in the states where in Ireland I don't know we're not not a few of my friends now have them but not such yeah, a pressure 30 years ago but it, yeah. we don't like we don't have one in our house now so yeah, yeah. That it's um but with the burlottis like you don't yeah like literally just soak and then they're cooked in 30 40 minutes and just this creamy texture oh my gosh yeah. you're thinking right you're probably on yeah you can I see, see them on your yeah, seed yeah, list here yeah, yeah. 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 definitely so you know so it's just about kind of making yeah making that effort and you know we can grow but it's just culturally then getting people to adopt and start eating these crops and not more looking at kind of like kidney beans from America, you yeah. know, the other beans. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we, so we're, we're as, it, as it is at the minute, it's about uh, minus seven outside. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cold, it was bright, a bright and dry day here, but we are sitting in beside a stove here at the minute. <laughs> I think I'm overheating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're getting towards the end of, the, of this part of it, I guess. Um, but just to talk about homegrown. Um, so, has been airing for the last uh, what, five or six weeks in Ireland. It's basically showcasing different uh, horticultural enterprises around Ireland. How has that been for you? Yeah, that was a wonderful experience. It really, it really was. It was a probably maybe over a year and a half in the pipeline because COVID really affected the whole filming schedule because, mm -hmm. you know, we couldn't um, travel around. So, you know, when it, it, it nearly was a surprise then when it did happen, you yeah, know, because yeah. just everything got stopped. But it was a surprise. And also it nearly felt like an extra gift after being so locked down and not really getting to go out and go on your regular, you know, the usual farm walks. We weren't having any growers conferences or meetups. Yeah. So just to have the opportunity to go behind the scenes and just meet such a wide range of horticultural enterprises and business and great characters. And it really was. Um, and like, and to be honest, for me as well, coming from a very staunch organic background, it was interesting to go and stand in conventional fields and have chats with farmers who do farm differently than how I would fundamentally yeah. believe it. But those conversations need to be had and we learn from each other, not in a, you know, aggressive, I don't like what you do, what you're doing, but just to kind of understand their systems and understand and talk and bounce. And so that was a real, that was definitely an interesting part, I would say, um, as well of the, the show. And it was, it was great fun. And it just kind of reminded how, how diverse a country we have here for this little island. There's yeah. a lot going on. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, a, lot, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of different enterprises. And I, even though I knew most of the people, you know, and, and most of the enterprises, it was, you kind of half forget about them in a in a way, and so it was it was good to see. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I like how it was covered. You know, from you know, like very big 
commercial scale, but then to the rare and special plants fair and looking at all the nursery guides yeah. and you know, there's so such a such a wide range and you know, it does take a certain personal as any home grower out there will know now if you were kind of dependent on the garden. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To absolutely feed you. There's a lot that can go wrong yeah. when you're working with uncontrollable factors called nature, you know. <laughs> that it's like yeah. it's it it is quite a risk. So it's a, ter- a certain type a personality who who gets into the the business, you know. So there was definitely there was a lot of laughter and a lot of fun and a lot of learning had as well. So and the, the feedback, the response has been good, um, and it was lovely to get to visit some show garden or not. Well, sorry, not show gardens. I mean public gardens, gardens. and open gardens yeah. as well. And to yeah, you know, to get people out there supporting these gardens and visiting and yeah, yeah, raise the profile of a lot of them. Yeah, for sure, it's. It's uh, it's important here in Ireland. I think uh, in the UK, particularly, you know, being the, being our nearest neighbour, and I suppose from a gardening sense, quite similar. The profile here isn't what it should be, and the quality of of horticulturist is here, and so it's good to see programs like that that actually raise that, you know, raise the whole industry up. I think. Yeah. No. It um. It, it totally. And it was. Yeah, we, you know, we did, I don't, the one the column did in Ardan, in, you know, out in Malahide, like it was just a few people had said to me, you know, in a dreary November, December, just to see that blast of colour, that yeah. just, wow, I think for all of us, it just reminds us of the seasons and yeah, in these stiller, colder, minus seven times, yeah. it's just the diversity and the celebration of, yeah, all seasons. Yeah, for sure. Um, as I said, we're, we're sitting inside in the heat here and uh, we have a nice bit covered now and we're probably going to do the rest of it outside and on the move, hopefully. Uh, so for now, that's the, the first part. Yeah, I'll get the hat the on. <laughs> and so now we're outside in, in minus seven. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's quite refreshing, it is, really. And you'll hear the crunch it? on the ground, I think, uh, as we walk. Yeah. So, so to the right here, John, that was originally, that was an oak nursery. Okay. Um, so this was on site, just what you know, when we arrived. Now the trees do need to be thinned. Um, so that's why you can see the kind of the lines are m- marking, um, there. So up until now, we've been running hens in here. Just, it's just a good way. It's somewhere I've always liked that combination of having a few yeah, hens yeah. around, um, the kitchen garden in, in the Nanonagel Centre was, yeah, with the, under the orchard, we always kept their hens they just kind of work out well and they just give a few nice sound effects yeah. but um fencing um is key but it also just kind of gives a nice shelter i think shelter even in a big wall garden where people think just is like the rolls royce and that everything you know grows but there's always challenges so this definitely creates a little bit of a shelter within the garden as well yeah for sure and the hens are moved now are they the hens are moved as well. Before this cold snap came, there was a, a tree spade on site. So the plan was to get in and move okay. the trees. So because of that, then it's a mobile hen unit. It's been moved. Sorry, and I keep <laughs> waving my microphone now, um, uh, pointing that they've been moved over to another location. Okay, so you're going to move some of these trees and plant them elsewhere? Yeah, they're going to be planted around the estate. Um, and I think some given to a local community group as well. Um, but then we'll just, you know, just keep thinning them out really and then they'll just yeah stay there and they act as a little bit of shelter and you know they'll become a feature in them in themselves um we're we're in a wall garden here just to set the tone so tell us a little bit about what's going on in here and 
Yeah, the, like this, I suppose, like it's probably just short of a, an acre. Yeah, probably three, quar- three quarters of an acre. And I suppose, as I said, it's a private estate, so it's not set up as a market garden. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, when you have space and you have walls, all you want to do is grow yeah. food. So it's definitely, as I said, when we took this over, it was completely full of scotch. Um, so just for the first year, then just here, it's a little bit privileged. We're supported. I can probably do a few trials and play around with things that maybe if you are a small grower, you mightn't be able to um, afford to do. So what we did was with this particular space here, we broke it into quadrants and just to try and see with the scotch how we could manage it. So this, um, so to start, the whole place was ploughed. But this first quadrant here, I'm so bad. Like it's probably about fifteen, or probably about, probably, well, no, but just ten, twelve meters. Yeah here like it's just you know put into bed 60 centimeter paths one you know 110 centimeter beds and then with this because there was machinery on soil we excavated about the soil to 30 centimeters of depth and there was work going on where turf was being lifted on another part of the estate and so we brought in new topsoil here and I'll have to say it has been very effective the amount of scotch coming back here really it wasn't our predominant weed it was actually um, creeping thistle All right. All right. yeah creeping thistle definitely I would say was the predominant um, and dandelions were the predominant weeds so scutch didn't become um, an issue so that's just all in bed systems that one not mulch was a late sowing of field beans mm-hmm. as a green manure did some you know earlier which are well up so it'll be interesting to see how things recover there's some elephant garlic in there and some other field beans yeah I think they'll all be um, good because there's a lot of woodland on site we have no shortage of wood chip, of, chip. Of wood chip. so we're, that's what we're using on all our paths um, and then this quadrant here which is about another 10 metres by 10 metres here because we're just trying to get the ground into cultivation, decided just to do this in a whole range of squashes. Um, So then the treatment of this then was literally the same, like the whole place was ploughed. We just top-dressed it then, just layered on whatever old farmyard manure and compost we could find, and then we covered it with my pecs, and then we planted the squash. Oh my God, we had an amazing um, squash harvest this year. Absolutely. I can see the number of holes, so you're talking about probably turkey. 40 plants maybe yeah and it was it was a good year for squash like that yeah the 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 summer and that's why like even some of them are in storage yeah a good few are in storage we grew like kind of you know a few ornamental and interesting gourds as well because obviously you're dressing for like site decor and you know flower arranging you know that would be part of the kind of um, the theme here on the estate so but a lot obviously all the good eating ones um, as well so and that so so then just it was actually just such a wet autumn we're switching tunnels as well this now will go this will go into 60 centimetre paths and into permanent beds now that's the plan so in spring but time kind of got away and then just thought oh look I'm just going to leave the mypex on it and then we'll deal with that in spring because it's just been quite wet but absolutely no weeding problem at all now we did water a little bit earlier in the year just yeah there was and then I yeah I was given some um, liquid feed 
feeds just you know yeah, yeah. some comfrey feeds and different feeds here and then here then this was all in potatoes okay, okay. so just it's almost a lot of spuds we still have we're still going through our potatoes and then as potatoes came out then we went straight into perennial beds so our purple sprouting broccoli our um, broad beans aquadulcia claudia then a good few broad beds beans are up. Up well, aren't they? Yeah, they're up well and they're flattened well. I'm beginning well. well, yeah, and that's one of the risks that they um, they flew on quite early. So yeah. now, um, yes, so we will see whether they, yeah, whether they will recover. And that's the problem of going a little bit too early because yeah. then when they're too ninth at the ninth sowing, is it? Yeah. yeah. So which was very, um, which was early. I suppose as we were clearing out the potatoes, then just kind of you know just str- as the p- potatoes came out drill by drill and we did all of that by hand then just was going straight into beds you know and then as opposed to maybe I could have went with a quick green manure and then followed on I was just kind of cutting out a step so kind of went with something um, earlier and then a decent amount the garlic and all will be fine that will be no problems yeah went through that black round fabric I'm not sure it's a bit just a little bit fidgety when they're kind of poking out but still we did a lot of our onions um, last year because I'm not here full time either. So, yeah. you, you know, you have to work with your resources as well. And the weed pressure can um, definitely kind of get on top at, cer- at certain times. You know, it could obviously can tolerate a certain amount of weeds. But just, it's, yeah, yeah, you do. You have, a nice, you have a nice variety of garlics. You have four five garlics yeah um, I think yeah or, or sorry and they're actually onions, onions. Yeah. so yeah so did four different varieties of garlic I think it's always nice you know like for years would have always done Vallelado it's just yeah. such a it's such a guarantee it works so well in our climate where a lot of the the Morado is definitely a Spanish garlic I think a, a, a purple one so I think it's nice I always like to keep a, few, a variety within the varieties yeah, yeah, uh, sure. as well sometimes you just um, revert back I was kind of joking, you know, with my sister who absolutely scrutinised the seed catalogues and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know why you obsess so much. And she's like, well, you know, I'm paying for my own seeds. (laughs) You're not. So I was like, oh, yeah, Yeah, that's very valid, very valid point. (laughs) So maybe, you know, just to add as well, that is, I would have to say, one of the benefits when you when you are working um, for someone else. And then just some green manures and then this is field beans and I've been very lucky to have maybe cultivated and maintained a great friendship with um, Joy Larkham over the years and I'd say many people would know Joy Larkham as one of the probably earliest organic writers and has contributed so much to the way we grow and eat and at 87 she's still an avid gardener and I'm still learning um, from her and she's a real fan of field beans as a green manure and it's something you know maybe or maybe use more field scale than in gardens um, so she inspired me to, to just actually play around with field beans and the big beauty is they, they can handle a late sowing right. so often you know we're which was early enough and then the other ones went in probably in early November right. so we'll see um, how yeah so they were direct sown now I probably I wish I kind of regretted afterwards I don't know what was going on the day I probably should have drill sown um, I think it would have been easier but they were broadcast in um, so yeah so just to kind of keep a bit of a diversity in the green manures and what, what, why is Joy so 
And I think it's for that reason that you can get them in late. 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 Yeah, and if you're doing them on a smaller scale as well, I as well have some gone up there that I actually threw a load of modules just as backups because, and then I ended up using them in another bed, Mm -hmm. you know, so if you're doing it on scale, it's kind of handy. There's not many green manures you could actually treat. Um, You know, you can treat like that. So, so yeah, and then over this the other section of the garden, I just felt it was way too much space to bring into cultivation um, this year. If we could just manage this section here, you know, and get it right, then we can just gradually keep moving on. So then here we just put this all into an annual um, meadow flower mix. It looked absolutely stunning. Um, it looked it looked nothing in June when we had an open day. Um, right. It just. You know, because we went for a really late sowing um, in May. Kind of had just kept harrowing the ground to try and keep the scotch, you know, clear. Because obviously we're having the same problems um, over here. And then it was just interesting as well just to see this is definitely the more shadier part of the garden. So even if you can just see the height, a lot of um, mallow came up. A lot of mallow in it, isn't it? Yeah, really heavy on on, um, mallow on this bit. So you can just see, I think, yeah, it nearly probably got more elongated. But it was a lot lovely 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 mix um and then i would just just you know because this ground is probably going to go into fruit now next but that won't happen till early next year because as i said potentially there could have to be drains and other things put in Mm -hmm. um as part of another project so this is always the problems on these big estates but um i just i think it's good to leave your meadow standing if you can over the winter just a bird oh my god it was just amazing here yeah a few weeks ago and just seeing the amount of food um and seed heads and i am ashamed to say that um everybody's like did you keep any meadow seed and i'm like i didn't i actually left it all <laughs> to drop and for the birds yeah. and maybe that's another problem when other someone else is paying for the seeds <laughs> you know but definitely have been um doing endeavors to save our own seeds here and it's something i'm i'm very novice at even though i'm gardening a long time and um last year i did a, i took part in a gaia training program and it was a training program where a collection of 15 um growers around the country got together and I suppose we're all learning about seed growing, visiting seed growers. It was a great wealth of experience on the course. And as part of it, we all grew out. We all picked an individual seed crop to grow. Um, and that was really, yeah, I, I, I did peas, Hurst Green Shaft. Yeah. Um, I just thought pretty basic. But also you have to be practical as well. Yeah. I didn't have the tunnel space. So it's something as well. Just want to keep building on now over yeah yeah and you haven't you haven't been doing that i'm surprised at that well oh no well no i always have but very haphazardly right you know what i mean i would have always just been you know oh like definitely like peas beans for years all calendulas everything but it was only actually when i started learning about steve it was like oh yeah maybe all those chili peppers i was keeping and oh yeah maybe the squash yeah that's probably maxima and that's going across with something else so it's actually when i started and then you know i wouldn't have been doing the rigorous selection i wouldn't have been paying much attention to you know the amount of population yeah, yeah. I was selecting my seed from you know so I quality wasn't uh, kind of a, a, right. a thing firm you know yeah, it was just yeah. like yeah yeah and we'll always do that but by actually the whole process of rigorously just growing the crop purely for seed yes. as opposed to you know yeah yeah, 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 know. yeah so so that was that's been a, a learning curve and that's something I would definitely hope to grow 
um, here in the next few years just that and to be able to contribute we've all been affected by Brexit we need to start working together as an island as well and producing being more self-reliant in seed and we need more people getting involved yeah for sure and and seed saving is 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 a great way to do that and we spoke about it before um it's amazing work that you're doing here it's been a really really good chat um it's it's less comfortable than where we were 20 minutes ago (laughs) but more beautiful but more way more beautiful um so yeah it's kitty it's been a really interesting chat um we covered lots there's probably lots of things that we could have and didn't cover and maybe we'll do it again in the future but for now thank you very very much for coming on master my garden podcast um thanks john it's been a pleasure so that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Kitty for coming on. And as I said at the start, this is the first episode of 2023. So really looking forward to getting into it now over the next couple of weeks. If there's any episode that you'd like covered or any help that you'd need or anything that you just want to learn a little bit more of over the coming weeks and months as you start to get ready to gear up in your gardens, whether that's in your, you know, grow your own gardens or your kitchen gardens or in your ornamental side if there's any questions you have or anything you'd like covered just let me know i'll be happy to do that and yeah as i say first episode of 2023 looking forward to getting an an episode out every friday now for the rest of the year and uh, thanks for listening and until the next time happy gardening (music) 